I'm Jordan Ferguson. And I'm Kate McKinnon. And you are listening to the Geek Down Podcast. What's up, y'all? Welcome back to another fantastic episode of the Geek Down Podcast. You know what it is. This is a show where two friends sit in front of microphones and talk about the sweet spots where their fandoms intersect. Back in the building, my name is Jordan Ferguson, representing Toronto, Ontario, Canada, and joining me on the other line, a grown-up, y'all. She got bills. She got homeowner's keys. She got a key to her house. Her house, son. Doing big things. Rihanna's a billionaire, but you know who's got a house? Your girl, Caitlin McKinnon. Hot show summer, y'all. Friends, this is episode 249 of the Geek Down podcast. It's been a long time. We should have left you. That a dope pod oh. to step two. Step two. Step two. <laughs> but we are back. If you didn't listen to all of our other 248 podcasts during the hiatus, you can just go back wherever you get your audio content. Maybe you forgot. Maybe it's been so long you don't know where to find it again. You just go wherever you get your audio content. Spotify, SoundCloud, Google, Apple, Stitcher. Look up the Geek Down podcast. Give us a rate, review, follow, subscribe, high five, dap to spite Caitlin. And henceforth, henceforth, when you're preparing to duck down because the fourth wave's coming, uh, you will never have to worry about finding a new episode of this podcast because it's going to be brought to you by a man who is just as disappointed in the unvaccinated as the rest of us, your man's... Chauncey Frostilicus III, Geek Down Internet Elf, and proponent of the double vax. Chauncey has kept it two vax summer from the jump. Yep. He's an essential worker. He was out there with his tunic rolled up, ready to get that jab. Wow. (laughs) And he thinks you should do the same. If you would like... To argue with us about the benefits of vaccination and you want to get muted, you can hit us up on twitter.com at geekdownpod. That is where the show lives on the social meds and where we will do said muting if you step into our DMs with such fuckery. Fuckery. And if you would like to support the show financially, maybe you just, you know, board in the house and in the house board, you weren't spending much money. You got a little extra coins laying around, you want to throw them in the tip jar? Hey, ko-fi.com slash geekdownpod. Three bucks. We appreciate, but discourage, because you still should save yo money. Because either the world is going to slowly come to an end and, you know, devolve into chaos, or things are going to go back to normal, and then you have this small, nice sum of money, and you can, like, go do something fun. Once, like, borders reopen. Yeah. Fingers crossed for 2023, y'all. Fingers crossed for before I'm 50. Can I just say that I legit had a conversation the other day about whether I would postpone my wedding again. Again? (laughs) And, And someone was like, and how long will you do it for? I was like, I don't know, until it seems really absurd. You know, like, like when your baby's not born, twenty twenty five. Yeah, no, no, probably. Like even then, I'd probably be like, "Yeah, it's fine." I mean, the baby can come to the the party, I guess. I guess. But yeah, I was like, I don't know, maybe twenty twenty five would be would be too much. Maybe, but I mean, honest to God, at this point, 
you know, all eyes on Japan, uh, what with the Olympics happening and all. And yeah, it doesn't, uh, Tokyo alone, I think had 5,000 cases the last time I checked. So wow, we still waiting, <laughs> going to have enough time to, uh, mm-hmm. to sa- save up for whatever I spent on records during this pandemic. Kate. Yes. How was your hiatus? Um, it was good. I did a bunch of house stuff and that's it. That's my life right now. House stuff. Listen. Oh, I did go on a picnic. You went on a picnic. Yeah, that's fantastic. Where did you go? Where did you go on a picnic? Our, we went. We went on a picnic to one of my favorite places, uh, which is the Dundas Conservation Area in Hamilton. Um, it's got like the most beautiful trails, and we had a spectacularly lovely picnic, and um, we didn't have any you know, animals try and steal our food. Uh, I tried to throw a little bit of bread to some sort of bird or chipmunk and they didn't care. They were just like, no, I get, I get, I get the good, the good stuff here. And I'm like, oh, okay. Um, and, and it was in celebration of senior correspondent and my year anniversary. Right. Oh my God. Happy belated anniversary. I totally forgot. It's been, it has been a year, which is both amazing and like, it's only been a year. Like, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I, it's weird. I'm sort of, I fluctuate between, wasn't that just a month ago Mm. and has it not been 10 years already? (laughs) Um, so yeah, but it, that was nice. That was a nice. It was a nice break as well from planning and packing and planning some more mm-hmm. and painting and packing and planning. <laughs> um, and yeah, uh, you know, it, it's it's hard because there was definitely uh, probably even a month ago where I was like, oh, numbers are going down, people are getting vaccinated, I'm gonna be able to like see people more. No, no. No, no. Yeah, I'm kind of happy I went home when I did. Yeah, yeah, it was a good plan. If I had, uh, if I had been like, you know what, let me wait for all these other uh, managers at Major Canadian Retailer to take their uh, get their vacations out of the way, and then I'll think about going down maybe Labor Day or like you know closer to my birthday in October. Hmm. Like, might not have happened. Mm. So, yeah. good thing I went when I did. Yes, I spent uh, just about a week. Uh, back home, I saw saw the Fam Jam, saw my folks for the first time in like 19 months, I think we realized. It was Christmas 2019 was the last time I was there. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Rough hangs. Also, this is, you know, think of everything that happened. Like, you know, longtime listeners, you will recall, like my mom like had that terrible fall like last December. Um, I guess like... I can't remember when it was. I've blocked that from my memory, but I mean, like, where things were looking rough for a second. She's, like, bounced back from that. And, like, but just seeing how they're adjusting to, you know, what their life is now. It's, it's, uh, it's interesting. And it was, uh, strange to step back into after, uh, you know, it's weird. It's weird watching your folks get older. Um, especially, and it's a a lot more stark when it's something you, you know, barge into every couple times a year, or in this case, like over a year and a half, right? Like it's, it's like, oh, right. I'm old. So it stands to reason my parents are old too. <laughs> um, and just seeing how like, 
you know, conversation don't quite pop off as it as a quite as quite as it used to. Interesting thing about my hometown. So I always say I'm from Windsor. I'm not from Windsor. I'm from a. I actually I was born in Windsor, but I grew up in a commuter town 30 minutes south of Windsor called Amherstburg. Which is, uh, how much longer will it be called Am- Amersburg? I don't know, because Lord Amherst was uh, the creator of the smallpox blanket. So, <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's, been some, it's been, some, been some hot, spicy takes about that uh, in recent years. Great! But uh, I had heard, all everybody wanted to talk about when I got down about there was about all these changes that had come to Amersburg. Because it seems that the a former CEO of Maple Leaf Sports has decided to retire in the area. Okay. And he has decided he could just sit and enjoy himself, or he could get involved in the community and start throwing some money around. And that's what he's been doing. So there is a honest-to-God good bookstore in my hometown. Oh. It's in a beautiful space. It's a tiny little shop. But, I mean, good good selection. Curated. has a beautiful, like, arch and reading nook for, for the kiddies and the kidlets in there. Um, oh my goodness. For story times and whatnot. And we stopped in. Mr. Malosh and I stopped in on Saturday night and walked out. And I said, that's a beautiful space. I hope he's happy to lose money on that for the next five <laughs> for the next for years to come. Because <laughs> he's gonna. Um, he also bought, like, the adjoining property. And he's going to put two more storefronts and two residential spots. Which, I mean, oh, wow. Amherstburg is not known as a rental community, really. I mean, this is small town Ontario. You can still buy fairly easily in that area. Yeah. But the the word has swept up. Don't the, don't tell the Toronto. I was going to say I, I shouldn't even be airing that out because it's they're going to be flooding down there, as we can see when the former CEO of Maple Leaf Sports is already down there. Um, but like you know, of the two storefronts, one of them is already spoken for because his wife wants to open a candy shop. <laughs> okay, boss. Hey, you know what though? You got the money. You got the money. Go ahead, and it's adding. You're adding a little vibrancy to the downtown core, which previously had like a travel agency and an abandoned post office. So you know, <laughs> go ahead. Part of me initially was like, you know, he doesn't even go here. But then I started like seeing what was, <laughs> what was popping off around there, and I was like, okay, Amosburg, you still you got you're getting a bit of a vibe. You're not my vibe, but you're getting a bit of a vibe, and that's. Like there was a weird, there's a weird, there's not weird, but I mean, there's a fancy coffee shop in Amherstburg and this is a Tim Hortons town, but it's still there. When I first saw it, when, you know, I went down the summer after it opened and people were like, yeah, this is a fancy coffee shop. That's weird. It's still there. It's still kicking. Wow. I guess people are coming out to see this fancy coffee shop. I mean, and it's just kind of like, you know, it's, there's a, it feels like there's a bit of a tipping point down there where like stuff that I never thought would have flown is kind of starting to fly a little bit. Um, and that's interesting to see. It's as Jeff said, it's, you know, not the town we grew up in officially anymore. It's just not like so much has changed. Right. Um, and I think that's a good thing. So, I mean, shouts, shouts to the hometown doing big things, uh, onto more nerdly topics. The second story I want to tell back home, one of the items on the itinerary for me and Mr. Malosh, Mr. Malosh believes he has, a solid lead on someone who is buying bulk comic collections. Right. And giving a fair price. So one of the tasks while I was down there, we went to dad's crawl space, pulled out all the comics, took them to Mr. Malosh's house, started going through them. What's what here is worth anything. And right. I was, 
should not have been shocked and surprised, but was shocked and surprised when previously the metric for what a book to be valuable was like the first time an artist was on this book or a certain storyline or things like that, right? All that matters now is if that character turned up in something else. Right. Right. For real. I'm not even joking. There was a book called 52. It was a DC book. Because after one of their crises or whatever, yeah, all of their books, they've relaunched a bunch of times in the last 10 years. But one of their relaunches was like every book, I don't know if they started again at a number one, but they started at a number one. And they all said one year later, everything time jumped. And then there was a weekly book that filled in that gap. And that right. book was called 52. And I, I had, I was buying that at the tail end of my comic collecting. So I don't have it all, but I have like the first like 20 or something. And I'm scanning through and I'm like, okay, it's a dollar, it's two dollars, two dollars, two dollars, twenty-five. What the hell? Check the notes. First appearance, Kate Kane as Batwoman. Ooh. That's all that show. I don't know a single person that's watching it, but it's a show. It exists. <laughs> so that book's worth something. And then that kind of fired me off where I was like, oh, let me check this one, because I definitely have the first Jason Todd as the Red Hood. That's a $60 book. Um, just noticing things like that, that like, that's literally all that matters now is if it's a show. I mean, that's sad, but it also makes sense. It makes sense. But like, st- like traditionally stuff where like, you know, Jim Lee's first X-Men or like this, that, or no, you know, a certain art, a hot artist, a hot writer, you know, none of that matters anymore. Like civil war, I thought would still push a decent price. It's only like $15 book one five. Right. Ultimately, like when we were talking about when Jeff and I were talking about, you know, is there anything you want to hold on to? Or the the plan is like, he'll just sell it and then he'll keep the money. So I can't have it until it's time to go, like really go to Japan. Um, <laughs> probably smart. Um, he's like, is there anything you want to like hold on to? And I was like, yeah, keep the Sandman until that show drops. Um, Cause I got, I got early, I got early. I got Sandman number one. It's already like a $300 book. When that show Ooh. when that show drops, that could be my flight if I strike when it's when it's hot. Um, yeah. But what's wild is like when I was collecting back in the day, it was like I don't have Sandman number seven. That's the first appearance of Death because that was where it spiked. One to six were reasonable, ten fifteen dollar books maybe, and then number seven, which was the first time Death showed up, was like a fifty sixty dollar book, and I just couldn't find it anywhere. I might have bought it if I ever saw it. I just never saw it. What's wild is now. Currently, this may change when the show drops, the first appearance of Lucifer is worth way more really? than the first appearance of Death. Because that show's still going, and it's got a fan base. Craziness, Kate. It's craziness. It's very interesting. But if someone wants to pay me stupid money for these, get at me. What a cool guy you are! Slight pause for radio magic, friends. Caitlin has informed me the first appearance of Death was actually Salmon number eight. Not number Hello. seven. Not number seven. This is why he keeps me around. <laughs> Live fact checker. You never know why she's fact checking. I don't even know why she was doing it, but she's just in the background. Oracle over there just click clacking. Click clack, click clack. Click clack. I was just really curious. I don't know. I find it fascinating. Um, friends, moving on to news. We are not going to try to recap everything that happened in the last month. That would be ludicrous. I have two stories that caught my eye that I kind of want to touch base on. Kate, do you have anything you want to 
bring up from the month? Did you see anything that caught your eye in the midst of painting home work? Absolutely not. Yeah. If people are wondering, like, why don't you have anything to tell or say or contribute to this podcast? <laughs> and all I, all I can really say is that buying a house is a lot of fucking work. And, like, getting a house ready and, like, having to call, like three different insurance peoples and finding out how much insurance is going to be and then like having to get it all organized for the lawyers for when you sign over the money and like having all the money right like it's so it's like another job so you know what go fuck yourself <laughs> I, i've been busy <laughs> fuck yourself hypothetical hypothetical listener of the show Person listen who's listen. questioning questioning why i'm so lame any broadcasting duo Somebody's got to be the color. She's the color, baby. Just peppering color. in. Peppering in color tapes. commentary. Yes. Yeah. Gasps. That's what she's here for. I'm the play-by-play. She's the color. So just let her That's cook. Right. Let her cook, y'all. Fucking let her look. I am a rainbow. Just I let, am a fucking rainbow. Just let her cook. Just let her do donuts on these takes when I lay them out for her. A um, couple interesting things. One that all friends, when I saw the news, you know it's August Watcharama. We'll get to that in the back half, but... We had to come up with some things to uh, to talk about. I saw yeah. this headline and I was like, Kate, let's do four movie rewatch. Let's do it all. When Evangelion 3.0 plus 1.0 hits Amazon Prime on August 13th, she was not mm. having it. Mm. <laughs> That's, what she said. That's what she said to that. Mm. Mm. She just made that no. face. Mm. So she will not be having a four film marathon of... All of Rebuild of Evangelion. They have confirmed that the last movie, which made a shit ton of money in Japan theatrically, is coming to Amazon Prime. In Japan, the other three movies are on Amazon Prime, but they are not currently on Amazon Prime Worldwide. We will see if that is just a given when the fourth one drops uh, on the 13th. Uh, I would need to rewatch them all anyway, because I have forgotten much of what took place in those. I just know it went off the rails it adhered to the show pretty closely from the first two movies. And then the third one was like, Hey, you thought you knew this shit? Fuck you. <laughs> Completely batshit. To that end, I recently saw, uh, your boy Ano did an interview, uh, with a bunch of different publications, but he mentioned, you know, the story was always just like, this was it. He was done. <laughs> no more, right. no more Ava. But, of course, he shows up for an interview, and some dip's always going to ask him, like, do you, do you think you would ever return to it? And he does say, he does admit in that interview that there are, there's a time jump in the Rebuild movies, and he does have an interest in explaining some of the things that happened in that gap. Probably will not be animated. It might be, like, a game or oh, a manga some or something. Oh, some sort of explanation about what's going on? What? Calm down. Best laugh, best laugh on hiatus I got out of Caitlin McKinnon was when I bought <laughs> the Evangelion vocal collection on vinyl and I sent her a video that said music to turn into goop by. <laughs> you love to see it. Uh, other quick fun facts. I said there were two things. I'm just peppering them with other stuff. Uh, Kate, how do you feel about Good Omen season two? Uh, I don't. Not, I don't want it. No, don't, thank you. don't want it. Okay. This is interesting because, friends, what you need to know is... Good Omen Season 1 covered the book. The only yes, text of Good Omens that there is. Season 1 covered it. There's no more runway. That's it. For the book. They're doing a Season 2. 
Neil is still involved. People are like, a lot of people, well, the people Neil is retweeting are like <laughs> excited. Oh my God, I'm excited to see what happens here. Neil's like, I'm excited to write and think about what happens here. Caitlin McKinnon says no, just because of the absence of Pratchett or. Yeah. And Pratchett was very like, his daughters talked about this. Um, Pratchett's daughters talked about this, about how his dad, her dad did not want anyone to try and continue any Mm, of his stories, continue the disc world. Like this was something he was very adamant about. He famously had in his will to smash his hard drive. With a steamroller, yes. specifically, yeah. after his passing, so no one could try and punch up half-finished works or whatever. Yes. Um, we, we weren't about to, uh, you know, what's the son's name? We weren't about to Kevin Herbert this situation, right? Like, or Christopher, yeah. Tol- Christopher Tolkien this, you know, something written in a margin of a notebook and try and flesh a novel out of it. And, and yeah, so, like, famous, very famous examples of why and how that does not work. Um, However, I understand like half of Good Omens is Neil Gaiman's. And I think, I think I read something about Neil Gaiman saying like him uh, and Terry Pratchett had, or he and Terry Pratchett had spoken about if they did another one, you know, where it might go or those characters or something. And maybe Mm. Neil Gaiman will pull a rabbit out of the hat yet again and come up with something fantastic and amazing. And I'll love it, but I don't think it's needed. Like just fucking focus on Sandman, the TV show (laughs) and just like, keep your phone. I think, I think Neil Gaiman has ADHD. Like I just, the man is always working. He's always working on something. You know, maybe go in and save um, American Gods from itself. I don't know. No. Like, <laughs> just I just don't think we need it. And this is what I've been saying probably for the last year and a half about certain things. There are things I don't think we need. I don't think we need a remake of Doogie Howser. I just don't think that show needs to be redone or there needs to be a new one. Um, I th- This is in that same boat of, I don't think we need this. Maybe it'll be my favorite thing of 2023, but I just, as it stands, I'm like, there's so many other things I would like to see. Speaking of things we didn't need. Yes. Yes. Caitlin. Yeah. Whether we're here recording on a regular basis or that we're taking some time away to collect and refresh, there is one industry that never stops. And that is the enterprise of fanboy fuckery. What kind of fuckery is this? We have a new we have a new spin on fanboy fuckery. An interesting spin okay. on it. I saw a story on Vice uh, the other day, very recently, like within the last two days. Basically talking not specifically about Kevin Smith catching flack for this He-Man show and how oh, how fans right. are mad about the He-Man show because it doesn't adhere to the spirit of the original cartoon, which I mean, I, what, sell what? you sell you toys? There was no spirit of the original show. And, like, also, ha- have they never seen the original show? Like, <laughs> It didn't recycle the same ten minutes of animation every episode. Like, <laughs> terrible. Um, no, I have not seen it yet. I know it's, like, half the season has dropped and the second half will be coming later. Um, but people, at the four, people are complaining about... It's a He-Man show with not enough He-Man in it. 
because I don't know if he fucking dies or he's not around or some shit at the at the start of it, and that means Tila kind of takes the lead in the early I going. I can tell you everything about that show because we watched all the episodes in like one sitting. All right. Well, listen. Let's let's just let's. let's we're not, we're not, we don't adhere to any strong formulas here. Let's dig into a brief update. Kate, you watched He-Man, was it Resurrection? Revelation? Uh, sure. I can't remember what it was called. Roncesvalles, whatever the hell it was called. Roncesvalles. <laughs> He-Man, Masters um, of the Universe, Roncesvalles. It's just <laughs> man-at-arms selling organic produce. <laughs> <laughs> um... <laughs> when you laugh at your own joke. <laughs> I was delighted by that. He's already got the mustache. He's fine. Uh, yeah. What did we think about the Kevin Smith He-Man show? It was great. It was this great little cartoon. It, it like, it did some really cool things. They're mad because it it is a woman. Like, they, they're just mad because it's Tila. It's the same shit. It's like Kevin Smith made a, made a He-Man show with no He-Man in it, and it's woke, and it's just shoving, shoving dirty girls down our throats again. Um, but the whole point, the, the, I think it's great that he, they called it He-Man, and not like He-Man Tila's journey, because then the whole time you're all, like, tripped up. So the first episode, He-Man dies. Mm. And Spoilers. it's all about... Oh, yeah. If, uh, if you were gonna watch, If you're gonna watch it, you would have already watched it. Um, and, and He-Man dies and it's all about like, so He-Man dies and basically there's this collapse of magic and magic starts leaving the world. Mm. And so all these character that characters that use magic are either dying or they can't do what they were doing before. So now there's more a lean on technology. And as you know, if you've seen He-Man, it was always this splice. It was very Flash Gordon, right? Like yeah. it was this splice between ma- like fantasy and science fiction. Um, and so, which is just a really cool aesthetic, as far as I'm concerned. Aesthetic. Aesthetic. Um, and, uh, so yeah, so then there's some other characters that bring him, but there's lots of old characters as well. Um, and like, come on, He-Man was not a good show. Like, it, it had cool things like He-Man transforming and his cat transforming and other characters transforming like it just it's it it wasn't high art (laughs) right (laughs) so the show had more like there was more good dialogue it 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 was about tila coming to terms with like you know she thought she got she was lied to basically by her father and and he-man and like the queen and she was just like all these people that i thought we're supposed to be – told me everything that, you know, were the people I trusted. They lied. They literally did not trust me with this – my best friend in the world, which is Prince Adam, right. did not trust me with this. And it was her being, like, really resentful and trying to, like, come to terms with that. And also, like, magic sucks. <laughs> <laughs> and anyway, so they go to, like, hell, which was cool, and they go to heaven and fucking – he hands there. Adam's there. Just chilling. So then, super spoilers, they come back because they have to get the two parts of the He-Man sword so that magic comes back into the world because all these people who are magic users are, like, dying. So Rince Adam, he goes back, and they're like, look, if you go back, if you die, you can't come back to heaven. Like, that was your one, one shot. Mm. And he was like, okay, that's fine. So they do something that as – 
senior correspondent Chris put it, the show was they could never do on the show slash they were like big cowards about it. They fucking they killed He Man and Skeletor became I don't know T Skeletor. <laughs> I can't remember what they call it, but he got the the sort of power and took over Grayskull. At the at the end of this like halfway I right. guess it's a halfway point. And we were just like, Whoa, that was cool. Right? Like it was just this fun little show. Also the voice acting was really good. Like and they actually gave depth to what the fuck's his name? The little, you know, um sorcerer Orco? guy. Orco. Orco had like a sweet ass fucking backstory. <laughs> like it was it was really good and all the characters got more depth and more like they weren't just these one dimensional evil characters or good characters um, or clowns or whatever. Right. It just, I thought it was great. It was just a good time. So just people. And then when he, like senior correspondent, Chris has had told me, he's like, Hey, all these people are like raging at this. And I'm like, yeah, because there's a lady and the lady is the hero. And they're like, but the thing I want to talk about and what this vice article was talking about was not just that people are mad about he man being quote too woke or putting a, girl at the forefront or whatever Fan, uh, fanboys are going to fanboy i mean that's that's we don't need to waste more breath on that we know that it's rare but it happens where the people behind these shows will be like shut the fuck up yeah <laughs> ryan johnson notably did this and has never been forgiven since and kevin smith has been doing this kevin smith has never been one to hide on social media and yeah. says things with his whole chest and he Basically, he said in an interview or on Twitter, like, do you think Mattel hired me to make a show called He-Man with no fucking He-Man in it? Are you insane? <laughs> like, it's half done. You haven't even seen the back half yet. Like, calm, calm yourselves. But this has then led to what the Vice article was talking about was something that apparently uh, people who parlay and fuckery have been getting their claws into called fan blaming and this is a perceived notion where the people in charge of shows are blaming fans for you know poisoning the reception of something as a way of disavowing or eschewing any responsibility for bad creative decisions and this seems to be growing in popularity in the uh, fuckery circles right where the fan where the fans are saying you just mad because we say and you make crap and the creatives are like, no, you're a 30-year-old man clinging to something you loved when you were seven. Yeah. And can't let it go. It's an interesting phenomenon. It's bullshit. <laughs> because it likens, it's called fan blaming because it's trying to latch onto the idea of victim blaming. Like fans are, vic like He-Man fans are now the victims of Kevin Smith's tyranny. <laughs> and... And okay, phrases we never thought we'd ever hear. <laughs> He-Man fans are victims of Kevin Smith's tyranny. Um, yeah, and that's basically what, you know, the, the Vice article was trying to be diplomatic through the whole thing, but then they were just like, uh, He-Man, you know, fans are not victims of anything. So don't even try to equate those two things, you know, like, you, it's not blaming the victim. You're not a victim of anything. So fuck off is the takeaway. See, there. basically all our sentiments end with fuck off. Fuck off. Just fuck off. Um, and a reminder, 
callback to my trip home. As I said to my father multiple times when he wanted to broach the topics about how sensitive people are these days, remember, y'all, you may have forgotten we've been gone for a minute. How much does shutting the fuck up cost, Kate? Absolutely nothing. Zero dollars. You could shut the fuck up. That's the best kind of amount. It costs you zero dollars to shut the fuck up. Not shutting the fuck up can cost you your career, your job, your reputation. Yeah. Sometimes you can just shut the fuck up. And also, really, what you have to say is not that important. I mean, I mean. Other story I want to talk about, it's kind of inside baseball, but I thought it was interesting when I saw it popping off. It's a little old, older-ish, but I just wanted to get your, your thoughts, Kate, about this this acrimonious breakup between Scarlett Johansson and the Walt Disney Company. Are you up on this? Um, yeah, yeah, no, I was reading because I wanted to know what exactly was going down. So, friends, if you missed this, uh, basically what happened was Scarlett Johansson sued Disney, not Marvel, should be noted, uh, sued Disney for breach of contract because she, when you star in a major blockbuster movie, kind of above the fold, when you're above the title, you can cut what is known as, you know, you get a deal on that. You get points on the back end, which means the movie makes money. You make a little bit of that money and the money you make can often be tied to certain benchmarks being met at the box office. Cause that proves, you know, people are going to yes. see the movie cause you're in it. So you get to share in the profits of the movie that people are coming to see you in. This is notably, uh, Robert Downey Jr. Became like a billionaire on Endgame <laughs> because of back end. Yeah. And, Scarlett Johansson was apparently under the impression that Black Widow would not go day and date on Disney Plus, meaning that it would not drop on the same day. That there would be a window where it was in theaters, V when it launched on Disney Plus. Now, it's on Disney Plus for $30 or however much it is in Canada. Um, but her deal probably does not factor in there because there's no benchmarks to meet when it's not in a theater, you know? Right. Yeah. So, you know, we don't like to... Uh, necessarily talk about uh, rich people complaining that they're not getting paid enough, but no, that's bullshit. It's interesting. <laughs> what the, the second point people saw that people heard the news of, of ScarJo filing the suit and went like, Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> then they saw how Disney reacted in their statement and went, wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Disney statement, Disney, the Walt Disney company, the happiest place on earth. <laughs> Released a statement saying, quote, this is as per variety, quote, there is no merit whatsoever to this filing. The lawsuit is especially sad and distressing in its callous disregard for the horrific and prolonged global effects of the COVID-19 pandemic. The company went on to state the star already received $20 million for her work and argued that the release of Black Widow on Disney Plus with premier access has significantly enhanced her ability to earn additional compensation on top of that $20 million to date. Um... And, but they did not provide any information on whether or not uh, she renegotiated with them uh, when they made this move. Or even if she, how early she knew this move was going to happen. It's just interesting. I love these little stories about how the game has changed in light of the pandemic, in light of streaming, in light of all these things. Like, it's, it's very interesting. We will recall when, you know, Warner or whoever pissed off nearly everybody in Hollywood by just saying, yeah, our whole slate for the year is going day and date on HBO Max. And Christopher Nolan was like, I'll see you in hell. <laughs> <laughs> you, you will die in a theater to see Tenet. I demand it. Um, 
yeah, so it's it's an interesting story, and people have been uh, attorneys for uh, Johansson told Variety, "quote It's no secret that Disney is releasing films like Black Widow directly onto Disney Plus to increase subscribers." and thereby boost the company's stock price, and it's hiding behind COVID-19 as a pretext to do so. But ignoring the contracts of the artists responsible for the success of its films in furtherance of this short-sighted strategy violates their rights, and we look forward to proving as much in court. This will surely not be the last case where Hollywood talent stands up to Disney and makes it clear that whatever the company may pretend, it has a legal obligation to honor its contracts. So the things I find interesting about this... Hmm. Are a um, who is it? I, Eisenberg, who who's just um, he stepped down as CEO. Iger, but he's still like, sorry, Bob Iger. Iger, Iger. I don't know why I thought Eisenberg. Anyways, Iger, and he's like super embarrassed about what happened. And this like is he fiasco. has he com- has he commented? I haven't seen if he commented or not. Apparently, you know, you know, and they're like, you know, inside insiders say blah blah blah, but you never know if it's true or not um but i find that really interesting um because really they've had a very good relationship with everything that marvel's been doing and seem to be very much on the same page what i don't understand is if they wanted to make that move why they wouldn't then give because they can tell how many people have purchased the movie right yeah why they wouldn't come up with some system to do something similar for the release of black widow right or they don't want it to count because the delivery method's different right like it's not technically the same thing because you know maybe they didn't watch the whole movie maybe they bought it and then you know who who knows what kind of quibbling they're trying to do they need to figure it out and also yeah okay fine she got paid a lot of money um bullshit that she's not allowed to be like okay pay equity though Right. And also, yeah, if you sign a contract, you sign a contract. Right. Like I just I just think it is a little bit I think it is sexist, to be honest. Um, Maybe because because then, you know, when how much of this shot the box office, uh, the box office success of Black Widow in the foot. Yeah. And then the chuds of the world and whoever else can be like, see. Female superheroes, nobody wanted a Black Widow movie. After a year delay and everything else that was involved with, you know, I don't remember how long it got pushed back, but it got pushed back a lot. Yeah, and it started out doing really well in the theaters. Mm. And had pretty Um, good reception from what I heard, but it just kind of like hit and then vanished. Like, I I don't hear a lot of chat about Black Widow anymore. Like, it just came and went. Like, and maybe her reputation and her, you know, star power does take a hit on that because... You know, if you're just looking straight at like box office gross of a movie, this was supposed to be her one of her big driving, you know, lead center of the poster Marvel movie, solo Marvel movie. And if it quote underperforms under like the old metrics pre pandemic, that doesn't do her any favors. And yeah, I agree. She has a right to make sure. You know, her value, her name value is protected. Uh, to fact check Kate, she is correct. A report from The Wrap places the blame on current Disney CEO Bob Chapek and claims uh, his predecessor, Bob Iger, is mortified, uh, claiming that Chapek and the company bungled 
the contract negotiations and the dispute. So, so yeah, your boy Bob is like, I got out at the right time. We're going to get out of the new segment at the right time, which is now Kate. Yeah. Did you have any time when you were house painting, working house and painting, working to watch anything besides you, man? Um, yeah, I watched Black Widow. <laughs> how was that? Uh, it wasn't very good. However, Florence Pugh has yet again proved to me that she is one of the greatest actresses on the planet. Did she play? Um, is the blonde one in there? I have a, I have a, yes. I have a Black Widow comic I got out of a dollar bin that was worth a fair bit of money, and I think it's the first appearance of the blonde one, to be honest. Yes. So she um, played uh, Yelena, which is yes. Originally, she was like called like the White Widow or the yeah Red Widow or mm. something. She was like the Black Widow's nemesis, but they've they've done really thing, interesting things with the character, and she is laugh out loud funny in this fucking movie. Like she's oh uh, yeah, she's really good. She she actually I think outshines Scarlett Johansson for sure for sure. So, but yeah, she was great and. And you know what? There were parts of the movie that were fantastic. Um, it just seemed very messy. Mm. Like it had one of those things where there was like three beginnings and like, I don't know. It just seemed it was messy. Both senior correspondent and I agreed that it was messy. Um, but some of the scenes were fantastic. Um, and I act, we actually both thought it would be better as like a three part miniseries or something. Um, but the, all of the characters and actors were fantastic. Cool. Like they were really, it was really well cast. Shouts to David Harbour. Is he the casting agent? No, he's Hopper from Stranger Things and apparently people like him in oh, this movie. Oh, 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 oh yes. David Harbour. Sorry. Yes. He was, he was fantastic. Um, so yeah, so there's that. And then of course we will talk about Loki. Um, I watched that and we've been playing Conan exiles. Okay. And, uh, that's, it's really, it's a really good game. Um, it's fantastic. We've also almost finished our third go through of mass effect. (laughs) We got, we got the legendary edition. Been gone for a month, still playing Mass Effect. Yeah. Well, we had to go through three games, and we don't play it every night. Right. Um, and, yeah. And I think that's about it. Uh, oh, Bad Batch. It, second last episode. We watched that last night. Uh, it's been really good. I'm trying to think. Is there anything else that I was like, yeah, this thing? Mm, I don't think so. Well, then let's get, let's touch base on uh, Loki briefly. I mean, you've all watched it at this point. You all have your opinions. You don't necessarily need our takes. Uh, I thought it did a good job wrapping up the season. Thought, uh, thought your boy Jonathan Major just crushed it. Oh, uh, yeah. He, he was so good. Yeah, calm down. <laughs> I know he's posse worthy. Um, and, you know, no small thing that, you know, it's not that long ago where, a black actor would not be playing that part. And it was just like nothing. It was just like, Hey, look at him. Yeah. He's Kang. He's chomping it or the, he who remains or whatever. He's just chomping it up. Um, I assume you enjoyed your boy, Richard E. Grant getting some, uh, some shine and some moments as a, 
classic Loki variant? I just assume every time a, I mean, a, a, really a British my... actor of a certain generation shows up in anything, I just assume you're happy. <laughs> we really, we know you know who our favorite Loki is, though. Well, alligator Loki is everyone's favorite Loki. <laughs> yeah, alligator Loki. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, yeah, no, I mean, of, of Loki did not pretend at being more than what it was than some of the other Marvel shows did. So I still maintain it's the best one in the batch so far. Um, Mm -hmm. Wanda made it seem like it was really going to look at like trauma and processing that type of stuff. And it kind of did, but at the (laughs) end, uh, they kind of dropped, they they dropped the plot. And it was like, well, we got to make her the Scarlet Witch smashy smashy. It was Agatha. Um, It was Agatha all along. It was. Falcon and Winter Soldier tried to dip its toe into race relations and the legacy of what it means to be Captain America. But at the end of the day, it was really, as we've since heard in some, you know, debriefs, there was a whole like virus bioweapon plotline in that show that they were like, read read the the room. Um, So what you end up with is a villain who seems kind of sympathetic and... Yeah. You're kind of like, wait, what? Why are we endorsing like the reestablishment of borders and cutting people off from each other? That seems odd. Um, whereas Loki was just like, you know what? We're gonna. It, it's it's weird. Fuck. It's brain fuck. Uh, time stuff. That's what it is. That's what it's gonna do. And it became obvious pretty early on that this was the setup to establish what was going to propel the next phase of Marveldom the MCU yep. forward. Um, and that's what we're doing. And I thought it did its job. Uh, little, I mean, the only complaint you can really have about it, I think is there was not much of a, you know, tag scene, you know, aside from the news of a, yeah. of a second season, when that will come, who knows after what movie, who knows, but I, don't think I was it, pissed <laughs> that there was nothing more than that. Yeah. I don't, I know. Like, okay. Yeah. Great. It was, it was fun. Sure. And I was like, yay, there's going to be a second season. But I kind of got that from the end <laughs> then, of the first season. Then that Georgia film logo came up and Caitlin was like, what? Yes, it's exactly. <laughs> I was like, no, no, you put that Georgia that's, peach away. <laughs> that's how you know when the Georgia peach shows up, you know, that's it. And you're like, come on. Um, oh my God. yeah, I just, I was very, I was unhappy. And I'm like, look, you know, people live for the end credits. Yeah. You could not give me anything else. <laughs> Literally nothing. You could have even tagged the scene that the show ended on and that people probably would have been like, yeah, you know, where Loki realizes he's, you know, doesn't really exist in the collective memory anymore. And, and things have already started changing and the statues are different. Like you could end it on that and people would have been like, Burr! Or just, you know, give Cumberbatch a hoagie and make him show up for two seconds at the end, you know? Like, <laughs> moving into my updates in earnest, I'm going to be kind of selective here and I'm going to jump around uh, to things. Um, music it was a great month for music and things for me to cop and collect and indulge in my sickness. Three ones I want to shout out uh, specifically. A uh, band named Hiatus Coyote, who I love. Australian weirdos who do kind of neo soul psych stuff. It's impossible to explain. They're just kind of groovy and they're Australian. They're, they're weird in that very Australian way. 
No shots, Kira, but shots, you know. I, I was going to say, I was just going to be like, we love Australian. Kira, we love Australians, but Kira, you know. You know there's some there's some Australians that need to wash their beards. That's what I'm saying. You know they out there. Um, but the music is great. They haven't gone for a very long time. Apparently the lead singer, uh, Napalm, that's her name. Uh, her name's Naomi, but she just goes by Napalm in the, in the group. Uh, she survived breast cancer, so shouts to her. And they came back with a fabulous album called Mood Valiant, which I copped. On the import side of things, I discovered another idol group because some DJ I followed on Instagram did a blend of a chic song called My Forbidden Lover and a song called I'm After Time by the idol group Dance for Philosophy. And I'm like, what is that? And how do I get it in my life? <laughs> the answer is you buy it on 45 for too much money. Uh-uh. Uh, they put out a remix album last year called Sapiosexual. I'm sure it's just a word they saw somewhere and was like, call it that. Um, but it's kind of a murderer's row of remixers. Um, guy named Mabanua who did the Megalobox soundtrack and a bunch of other stuff. Pasacom Music Club, who is someone I greatly enjoy as, or a duo I greatly enjoy. A uh, guy from uh, South Korea named Night Tempo who does like vaporwave future funk type stuff. Like it's just a fantastic kind of selection of uh, remixes in many cases that are better than the actual songs they're remixing. So that was dope. Last shout out on the music side, man, it's a group I'd heard about a lot and I'd seen floating around, but sometimes these throwback soul groups are not funky enough for me or like they just, it feels a little paint by numbers for me. Like any of that Daptone records like Sharon Jones and Charles Bradley or Queens, but like at the end of the day, it's just like, okay. And Duran Jones and the indication were indications were another one of these groups. I think they were like an amateur band in an Indiana like university club type of thing. <laughs> Though we love those the best though, right? And they got and they got signed and they put out, you know, very classic, you know, like what you would expect to hear on in a jukebox, you know, soul kind of northern soul type of things, less funk. They put out an album this year called Private Space, which has incorporated synths and lusher arrangements and strings and it's just it's a fucking banger. And I can't find it on the Red Nebula vinyl yet and I'm annoyed. I waited. I waited and it was gone. Kate Sonic Boom sold out. I'm annoyed. Yep. That is on um, the music side of things. On the book side of things, uh, started. A, oh, I finished Breasts and Eggs. It was interesting. Didn't quite say what I thought it was going to end up saying about uh, women's choices regarding family and child rearing and things like that. Uh, but it did have okay. some things to say, and it was, it was, it's a. It was still a fantastic book, and I would recommend it to anybody. I started a book by an author I really like called Hanif Abdur-Rakib. The book is called A Little Devil in America, Notes on Black Performance. It's just kind of a freewheeling discussion on everything from blackface to dance competitions to, my God, what else was, what else has he been talking about in there? Just everything. He's really, he's a, he's a poet and nonfiction writer who just kind of like, his work's just kind of like meander around stuff, but it's also, you can tell like he knows what he's doing as he takes you on these journeys through different subjects. And he's just, he's a fantastic writer and he always threads stuff together. Very interesting. And I've really been enjoying that book. And, um, so, uh, slash news. We had talked before about anecdotally how it seemed like manga was moving to a degree that it had never moved before. This has now come to a point where, like, major Canadian retailer has been like, we hear you, 
there's nothing we can do because the publishers have been caught flat footed by this. Like they were not prepared and they're just using every available system to try and pump out reprints of their books. Like your big ones. Great. It is great. I mean, your demon slayers, your chainsaw man, which is wild because chainsaw man doesn't even have an anime yet. (laughs) It doesn't normally. That's what drives manga sales is when an anime comes out. Yeah. Um, which no- is also, which is good and also sad because a lot of the time there's a really good manga and they've, or a good manga and they've made a really good anime about it. And, and sometimes they're like, okay, well that's, that's it. And sometimes it's way of the house husband and you get PowerPoint, the anime. Um, yes, but yeah, Chainsaw Man, Demon Slayer, Jujutsu Kaisen. These are all books that like they show up and they're gone immediately to the point where we are now. They either sell or they get lifted. And we are now like, you remember how we used to keep certain stuff to the side at major Canadian retailer? Uh, Manga, some manga has joined them. So that's just wild in itself. But to that end, when I was at work and I saw some book I'd never seen before in the manga section, I'm like, what is this? And it was apparently a Kickstarter funded translation of like previously unpublished short works by Osama Tezuka, the God of manga, Mr. Astro boy. And I was like, huh. I was like, oh, and we got Junji Ito's uh, collected Tomie back in. Huh. If you don't buy them now, they're going to fucking sell out and you're not going to get them again until November. So I guess I buy manga now, Kate. Wow. I guess that's That's, a thing that happens. That's a thing that happens. And that's intense. Funny enough, I did not read. I have not read two of those. There was a third one I bought online. Uh, on a recommendation from longtime fan of the show, Joycey Vogues, called uh, Tono Monogatari by Shigeru Mizuki, who is a kind of a predecessor of Junji Ito on the spooky, spoopy side of uh, manga. Um, right. Not as horrifying. So stuff I will never, I will never read. No, he's much more cartoony and not really oh, horrifying okay. like Junji Ito is. Um, this is a very interesting book in that it is an adaptation of essentially a collection of folk tales originally published in like the early 1900s, like pre-World War II, I think. Um, maybe earlier. I, don't, I actually can't remember. Basically, there was a dude who, when, you know, the, the fight for the soul of Japan was happening intellectually, do we embrace modernity or do we stick to, you know, how we've done it? You know, post-Commodore Perry, post-kicking open the door with 64 cannons or whatever and saying, trade with us. Um that sort of thing. This, I don't know if he was like a minister or something. He kind of wandered around Northern Japan collect with a, another writer collecting these folk stories. Cause he was like, these need to be preserved. Mm. So it's a lot of yokai story. It's kind of the originators of like the yokai stories and the monster stories. You know, you remember the cat. Right, so he pulled, he pulled a brother's grim. Yeah. He, and he was inspired by it. He was inspired oh, by cool. uh, the work of the brother's grim. So this Sh- Shigeru Mizuki who did kind of all ages, creepy comics. Um, has done an adaptation of the stories this guy heard traveling around that region of Japan. Um, Tono Monogatari means Tono stories. It just means Tono stories. Tono was the region he was, he was traveling through and it's got a, uh, the translator has got, you know, a lot of notes in there. The, the stories themselves and the art themselves. Cause sometimes they're really brief. Sometimes the guy only got like a real basic story about like, you know, the one time one of the mountain people, you know, kidnapped a girl and ate her babies. And now, now when you hear thunder, like that's whatever, 
you know, like stories like that, but they're just real brief. They might be like two pages. And then there might be a page of text, one or two pages of text explaining in more detail, like what that character or what that, you know, folk figure from folklore uh, meant to the region type of thing. Really interesting book. I'm only about a third through it, but it was a good reco, Joycey Vogues. Appreciate that. Um, games. While I was home, my parents had a spare iPad. It has not been the come up I thought it was going to be, despite being cavernous at 128 gigs. Right. The battery gives me a smooth uh, 35 minutes unplugged. <laughs> <laughs> but because it's cavernous, I just threw all the games on it, including ones I hadn't played in a while, like Epic 7. Who remembers Epic 7? It was a really good free-to-play, uh, you know, kind of resource management RPG game. Fantasy RPG with a gotcha element. It was kind of fun. They're having a ReZero collaboration right now. Hop back into that. Really enjoying it. All my other usuals you know about. My homie Scott, I don't know if I mentioned this on the last show. I went back to check. I don't think I did. Has abandoned this era of gaming. I guess we're into the next era now. He has not gotten a PS5 yet, but oh. he's on the... He's closer to that than not. And he was like, here are my PlayStation credentials. I did primarily digital this generation. Help yourself. Uh, oh, okay. Y- yes, oh. It basically means like he's now logged in on my PlayStation and I can access his games library and download whatever I would like to my. It's how they do game sharing now in the digital age. It's the digital version of taking your game to someone's house. Um Oh. He has very different tastes than me. <laughs> so if I like Destiny, I'd be very happy right now. I don't really fucks with Destiny or first person shooters, so there's not a lot there for me, but he did have that Spider Man game and all the DLC from a couple years ago, and I never got to play the DLC, so I've just been doing a replay of the I believe it was twenty eighteen uh Spider Man game for the PlayStation Four, which is fun it was phenomenal then. It's still phenomenal. Fantastic game. I look forward to getting into the DLC. What did I watch? There are things you can only watch with your father while you are sitting next to him (laughs) in Amherstburg, Ontario, Canada. And he's on the Roku channel, which is just whatever (laughs) Roku itself has available. I've got, I've got that. Yeah. You ever watch ice pilots, Kate? (laughs) Oh my God. I have. Yeah, you have. I have. Uh, I didn't know Ice Pilots existed. I do now because I watched it with my dad. It's about dudes in the Yukon. (laughs) It's about dudes in the Yukon who transport goods on planes. And if they don't get their food, they're going to die, Jordan. On planes they just kind of found all over the place. (laughs) And it's a bajillion degrees. And there's one Indian guy on the show, and they always play a weird sitar themed like music background whenever he's on, and that's uncomfortable. What else did I get into watching? Uh, We will recall I was all in on an anime called Wonder Egg Priority before the hiatus. That thing shit the bed. Mm. Turns out, Kate, sometimes girls are just bitches. Yep. That's the answer to the entire mystery that drove the show. Sometimes they're just crazy and bitches. Oh, well. Also, we're not going to resolve anything. Also, we're going to do an extra episode to wrap up the story and spend half of it recapping the show that you already watched. That's unfortunate. Good job, anime. Good job, anime. And by good job, we mean that wasn't a good job. You absolutely did a a terrible, terrible job. One last thing I want to talk about that I watched. It's probably 
the most unexpected thing, but I loved it. And this was brought to me by Someone Cute. Well, two things Someone Cute brought me. Generally, watching things with Someone Cute is just enjoyable because you're with Someone Cute and you're having a good, you're having a good time, just kind of laughing or enjoying if it's not for you, like the Gossip Girl reboot. I've seen three episodes of the Gossip Girl reboot. I heard it was a trash fire. I didn't watch the original. It is. As Someone Cute says, it's not for us. I don't know who it is for. It's not for us. She keep watching it. I tapped out at third third episode, but I did not know that Tavi, Tavi Gerritsen, is that her name? The founder of, uh, the young founder of the influential uh, magazine Rookie from back in the day, circa 2007, maybe. Like she started this when she was a kid and it got really like. Right known and like you know she would get interviews with like the fame real famous people um in this magazine run by a kid because because she knew she had a clear vision and she made it happen uh she acts now apparently and if you uh, are missing claire danes in your life yeah you, tavi garrettson is basically like the no-name brand version of claire danes like The hook on this one, generally, is that the mystery of, I believe, the mystery of the original Gossip Girl is you did not find out who Gossip Girl was until, like, the end end. And you got to speculate the whole time on who Gossip Girl could be. Yeah. The version this time is you know from the jump. It's the teachers at the school leveraging social media to rat on these entitled rich kids and fuck them over because they're, like, you know, they don't like a teacher. They just get them fired because their dads are rich type of thing. Um, So, I mean... That's interesting, but at the end of the show, the Gossip Girl's not about Gossip Girl. It's about these, you know, rich kids doing rich kid shit. And that's got a limited shelf life for me. What doesn't have a limited shelf life for me is something someone cute brought me, which I think I knew of because Jamila Jamil of The Good Place was a judge on it. Kate, have you ever in your life watched Legendary? I have not. Stop whatever you're doing, Caitlin McKinnon. It's on Crave, both seasons. Legendary is a reality competition show based in ballroom culture. <gasps> no. Voguing, duck walking, death drops, all that business. I respected this show or the idea or the notion behind it. Someone cute who has a background in dance and is very like appreciative of it. And, and more is that well- Megan the Stallion? It is. She's one of the judges as well. Um, <gasps> it is phenomenal and joyous and life affirming and bitchy and (laughs) everything you need. I did not think I was, you know, would be involved in this show till I was screaming in all caps at someone cute on WhatsApp being like, how are they not going to vote for who have Sasha been duck walking nonstop for like the past three rounds? Like (laughs) I was in house. Oh, House come, goodness. house come de garçon for life. Um, so Megan the Stallion, I know I didn't really talk about it, but I have listened to thought shit <laughs> so many times. Uh, I can't remember what song hit that. I think I early, early in the pandemic, I started you a Spotify list to called songs. I would have played for Kate and uh, hit that by Megan when her album dropped was, uh, I believe was the lead track on that. And like I've listened to like I've listened to other stuff of hers and I really like it and I I do like her rap style. I know some people don't for whatever reason. Um but uh no thought I will see I came to thought shit because <laughs> because of black Twitter or black um uh TikTok. TikTok going on strike. Right. Because um, Meg had to eat the Meg had to eat the L on that one. I, I like 
I heard about, I knew about the song, I knew it had dropped and stuff, but that was when I was like, my interest got peaked. And of course I like went in hard on like knowing about black TikTok going on strike uh, and would talk to anyone who would even give me a minute about it. Like I just was like, let me tell you, including me, there would be nothing. It was a great story. (laughs) Yeah. TikTok would be nothing without black creators. Um, anyways, so, but then I just, I listened to the song all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Cause you were just hearing it all the time. Well, yeah. And now it's like part of my like daily playlist. Anyways. So yes, I'm excited to watch some of these, uh, these episodes. Yeah. Legendary is, is really, it's really kind of beautiful. It's just a celebration of queer and trans people of color and, you know, their skills and their accomplishments and like the, these performances that they can put together. And when you, and then that, you know, because of who I am as a person, (laughs) it was like, well, now I'm reading 15 Wikipedia pages about ballroom culture. And Mm -hmm. why, why are they houses? Well, off time they were houses because they literally lived together because they had been like abandoned and estranged from their families for trying to like live their authentic lives. That's fucking beautiful. Like, Everybody loved Drag Race. I'm not shitting on Drag Race, but if you love Drag Race and you've never seen Legendary, like, I don't hear a lot of enough chat about that show. I mean, I'm not, like, on queer Twitter, so I don't know. Maybe they are talking about it enough, but I know a lot of folks who, like, are always riding for Drag Race who don't, like, Legendary was fantastic to, like, binge, both with and without someone cute. And, like, that's the mark when I, like, when I spent my time with someone cute and we watched the show and then I would come home and keep watching it. That is, that's a good marker of a good show. You didn't see that coming. Did you? <laughs> no, no, I didn't. Friends. We're going to take a break right here. August watch commences in earnest with something your girl wanted, couldn't wait to get into when she saw it was dropping on Netflix. She mentioned it last June as we wrapped up before hiatus. So you knew it was the first mm-hmm. thing we had to get to. We're going to talk mm-hmm. about that sailor moon eternal on Netflix. <laughs> Don't call it a comeback. Get into that. We come back after this break. to the thing that I very excitedly brought to Jordan and was like, we have to watch this. Uh, there are some rules. Rules are forever. Rules are key for keeping the chaos within its limits. <laughs> or else we, we, it, it'll just, it'll really just devolve basically. The first rule is the rule of three, which is the thing comes in parts like a television show we will watch three episodes of that show so it has a chance to become the thing it is trying to become this was a two-part movie it is a two-part movie yes so it didn't have parts but we we definitely watched the first one i don't know if jordan got further than that but we did our due diligence uh the second rule is hashtag save it for the pod which means 
we wait to talk about the thing we brought each other until we are sitting in front of microphones so that you guys get the hottest of takes Mm -hmm. because it's a take economy now. Gotta have them. It's the only way you're survive in this business. Yeah. Uh, The final rule, which really isn't a rule, it's just a policy, is that there will be spoilers. Um, Can you spoil Sailor Moon? Can you spoil Um, Sailor Moon? (laughs) I guess, if you've never seen Sailor Moon. But if you've never seen Sailor Moon, you should really just go back and watch the original show. Uh, I'm sure we'll have things to say. (laughs) Um, And yeah, and those are all the rules. Those are the and rules. as much as and as much as I brought this to Jordan, I'm making him. I made him look up stuff about the show and talk about it because <laughs> I'm just gonna mess it up. I'm just gonna be like, "Ooh, Sailor Moon, Sailor Moon aesthetic, Moon Prism power." Like, <laughs> yeah, he he's got the deets. So I uh, am the flavor. I am the color. <laughs> the color. She's the color, y'all. My color is sparkle. <laughs> My color is no. Um, Sailor Moon. Is foundational for Caitlin and myself. Mm-hmm. Not the first, but one of, no doubt, the most influential magical girl shows, shoujo shows. These are shows for uh, aimed at girls of a certain age. Um, usually about the if you know shows for boys are always about like being the best, despite whatever odds are stacked against you. Um, magical girl shows are usually just about the power of love and friendship. Who doesn't yep. love that? For me at the time, even though I was, like, not a young girl when this show debuted, I was like, (laughs) that looks like stuff I liked when I was a kid. And, oh, the storyline carries on day to day. That's not like G.I. Joe or the other stuff I grew up with. That's interesting. And then, oh, they are going to face the final person, Big Bad, in a be-all, end-all, smash him up. Also, did everyone just die? Yeah, they did. Yeah, and they came back, and it ended. That never happened in what we considered (laughs) at the time for like animation or shows for kids or whatever. Anyway, Sailor Moon was around in the '90s, and then it uh, notably uh, was directed by a guy named Kinuhiku Ikuhara. God, that's a hard one. Um, Ikuhara. Then went on to do Revolutionary Girl Utena and Penguin Drum and Sarah Zanmai and a bunch of weirdo stuff. But Sailor Moon is where he got his start. We may revisit his impact <laughs> when we talk about this. Um, then it kind of lay dormant for a while, for a long while. And then in, I don't know when exactly, but uh, it got a relaunch, a redo. Hold on, I can easily get that information. Uh Wow, it was a while ago. In 2015, there was a redo, a relaunch. What do they call that? A remake? <laughs> of the, I was just waiting for it. I oh, was like, shut um, up. what? <laughs> the Sailor Moon franchise called Sailor Moon Crystal, which everybody was really excited about. And then they watched it and they got less excited. Well, I'm sorry. I was not excited about it. <laughs> Everyone but Caitlin was really excited about Sailor Moon getting finally getting a modern day retelling. And then they saw it and they went, Oh, it had problems. Um, I have heard, I've only seen a bit of the first season. Uh, the whole thing is on Netflix as well. Should be noted. If you want to get your, yeah. your full sailor moon vibe on. And I may, I heard third season actually 
it got itself together by the third season. That is flagrant violation of the Final Fantasy 13 rule. But Sailor Moon, yo, come on. She's one of the goats. You got you to gotta give her some time. You got to give her a chance. But uh, before Sailor Moon Crystal hit the show, hit Netflix, there was an announcement that a movie, a two-part movie, was going to hit the service as well, uh, internationally. And this excited us because it looked decent. It looked good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We wanted to get into that because we love Sailor Moon. Do we still love Sailor Moon? Probably. Do we love this movie? Let's find out. This is Sailor Moon Eternal, the movie. It is a 2021 Japanese two-part animated action fantasy film based on the dream arc of the Sailor Moon manga by Naoko Takeuchi. It is a sort of direct continuation or fourth season of the Sailor Moon Crystal show. Two-part film is directed by Chiaki Khan, written by Kazuya Fudiyasu, uh, supervised by Takeuchi, and produced by Toei Animation and Studio Dean. Came out in January and February in 2021. It is the first film to appear on Japanese screens featuring the franchise in 26 years. The last one having been Sailor Moon Supers, the nine Sailor Soldiers Unite, Miracle of the Black Dream Hole. What Black Dream Hole isn't a miracle, if you know what I'm saying? (laughs) That came out in 1995. This is basically the Supers arc of the Sailor Moon franchise. Originally there was Sailor Moon and then Sailor Moon R, S, Supers, and Stars. Those were the series, the seasons in the 90s show. They have gotten up to S on television in the Crystal Reboot, and this is the Supers arc of the manga, which features the, what are they called? The Dead Moon Circus? Is that what the, what the villains are called that here? Is, that, that, is, that is correct. The Dead Moon Circus, the Amazon Quartet, the Pegasus. Um, now, having not seen all of OG Sailor Moon, I can admit it, I haven't seen all of it. There's some things I'm fuzzy on. But I do know a lot of the beats of Sailor Moon. Uh, and having gone into this, I can confidently say, if you've never seen Sailor Moon before, get the fuck out. <laughs> oh, yeah. You will know shit about shit. That said, if you do know a little bit about Sailor Moon, Kate, did you, you've seen all, all of it? Or just I like you hold, so. Or just like you hold the first season in very high regard, and then... No, no, no. I've seen... I've seen... Okay, so... I'm going to, when I say originally, just, you know, all the crazy people who love Sailor Moon, just calm down. I mean, originally for like the children's television station, um, we watched it on. Yeah, it was on, it was on YTV in <laughs> <Originally>? Canada. <laughs> yes. Um, so when I say originally, I don't mean like what it, how it aired in Japan. I don't yes. mean, I'm just saying that like the original way, probably almost every single person at least in Canada was got to know Sailor Moon came mm-hmm. from YTV. Yeah. So they aired the first season. I don't 1995. It was late. It was late 90s. Yeah, I, I'd have to fact check that. But for our sakes, let's just say it was like 90, 96, 97, maybe. Yeah. Um, and I saw it, of course, with the English dub. Yes. Um, and the, the, then the Deke dub as fandom calls it. Cause Deke was the production company that licensed. The it show. was. Yeah. Deke. Um, and then what happened was what had happened was they, what had happened was they, the company was doing the trend. It took so long to do the dub that they, 
didn't have the second season ready to go. So they started the first season over again. So many times. And so that happened three times because I, I think it was three seasons they had of Sailor Moon. Mm. Um, and then through different friends and VHSs, I saw like the other like movies and mm. episodes and stuff, but it was like really patchy. And then there was like the movie with with Sailor Pluto, and and I think that's where um, this sort of like picks up after. Um, yes. So in forgive the... me if my memory of that is a little patchy, but I could I could like name you rhyme and verse the first like three seasons. Yeah. Of Sailor Moon. Um. So yeah, this does take place after the like what they call the outer senshi or soldier uh, arc, which was Neptune, Uranus, Pluto, and Saturn. Um, I don't remember all the details. I don't remember why Saturn turned into a baby. I don't know why they went off to the future or whatever to raise her, but it's like at the start of this movie, it's back to the original core five. Um, The outer senshi have all like retired um, to take care of this reborn. Everybody's always getting reincarnated in this show. Um, happens a lot. Happens a lot. Um, sorry to go back to like our original experience with Sailor Moon. I remember as well, just like being like, oh, it's just, they're just repeating this shit over again. And then with like zero fanfare, randomly there was a new episode. And I remember like the stunness on my face when I just turned it on. I was like, eh, I'm on my lunch break. It's on whatever. And some like little yeah. pink haired girl showed up with a Luna ball. And I was like, what, it, what is that? Also, also, it was 1995. Oh! Sorry, I'm fine. <laughs> fact, checking, fact checking herself now. Let's start with what we liked. I liked immediately being back with these characters. Like, the second I saw Usagi slash Serena, your main character, be ditzy or fall over. She did something clumsy. I don't remember what it was. I was kind of like lukewarm and then she did something clumsy or fell over or something. And I was like, ah, there she is. There's... <laughs> But did she fall over onto Darian's chest? His name is Mamo-chan? How dare you? Okay, but see, this is my problem, right? (laughs) She's going to... Caitlyn is in... Caitlyn's generation is incapable of calling them by the, like... Japanese Japanese names, yes. Because Usagi will always be Serena for... for Always. And Mamo-chan or Mamoru will always be... um, Darian. It'll always be Darian, and Chibi-Usa will always be Rini. Um... Did you watch dub or sub? Um, okay, so first I was like, all right. Okay, this – see, this – I actually really like talking about this because this so gets into, like, the really nerdy shit that <laughs> so, probably why we watch what we watch, why, why the, we like what we like. That's why the people are here. So they changed the, – the voice actress who um, did Sailor Moon – Serena, uh, changed at some point and I did not like it. And I was very upset and it really bothered me. And so now when I watch dubs, I can't handle it not being the right voices. Um, but, and I was like, okay, well, we'll give it a shot because it is Sailor Moon. It's not exactly again, going to be like, super in-depth character building. Um, 
I was like, we'll do other stuff, but we could not handle um, Chibi Moon Rini <laughs> as in in the dub. Like it just. I I, yeah, I flipped it. back and forth too. I started I started with sub and then went to um, dub with subs, which is a sometimes a preferred mode with us. You just want to see what the changes are or what kind of adjustments they made. Um, yeah. The question with that is, how did you adapt to English voices calling them the Japanese names? I figured that had to be like. It's weird to just I mean, hear I... like English English Serena voice going Chibiusa <laughs> like. Yeah, I mean, it's, but it was also, it's like not, it's just not the same in my head. Right. Um, and, and I feel like the voice actors, not to badmouth the Japanese voice actors at all, but the English voice actors added such character to the characters. Um, like having Amy be like, sweet and quiet and Ray just being like a dick. Like that that's, is part of the makeup of the show. why she's the best. Um. Um, but, and also having like, you know, um, Sailor yeah. Jupiter have the, the raspy voice. I just, there were things that I miss in the retelling, but I was interested in, you know, what cool stuff they might do in the story or the art. Like the, it was beautiful. But anyways, we'll get into that in a minute. Um, but I did go uh, sub for this because I was like, look, it's going to be different enough anyway. And at least uh, Chibi Moon's voice, <laughs> Japanese voice, is a little bit better in the, the Japanese version. So let's, let's just run the top line here and then we can, we can get granular and start with the macro. Did you like it? Was it a, was um, it a good return? Did you enjoy this return to a beloved property? Not, not especially. Mm. <laughs> I just. Did you watch the second one? Uh, yes, okay. and that's part of the reason why. Okay. That if you would just watch the first, would you feel better about it? Because I just watched the first, and I felt good enough to want to watch the second. I just didn't have time. Probably, if we just watched the first, I, it, it's one of those things where it is. It is a kids show. It is very much a kids show. Yeah. Um. So I'm watching it just for like. Sailor Moon and like I want to hang out with these characters but these characters are not they there was no this is and so this, stupid there was no character well this goes to what has been a major criticism about Crystal in general is that it was always like it's gonna adhere to the manga it's gonna follow the manga it's gonna be a straight adaptation and what some people pointed out after a while was like yeah if you actually go to the manga there's not a lot there on the character side yeah. of things. Like the main driving action of the plot is all there, but Ikuhara and co in the nineties really kind of added a lot of, you know, <laughs> what, what we would call like, you know, the Goku learns to drive type episodes, you know, like the just kind of filler <laughs> stuff that like makes the filler stuff free of the manga that yeah. really makes the show and like cements it in people's, in people's minds. I thought the biggest problem with this was there's no way to take 38 episodes of something and mash it down to three hours total between the two movies. Like you could see the seams in like, Oh, this was this episode and this was that episode. And like, and I think that's where the character development comes in. Cause like each of, you know, each of those episodes, the best part of the first movie I thought was when it was like, Solo time with each of the scouts. 
Yeah. Like, obviously. That's and cl- you get to, yeah. It's clearly the best part of the movie where, like, you, I don't think I ever, I, was that, I, on the one hand, I don't know if that was ever elucidated on Amy's backstory regarding her mom and her dad and she's a child of divorce and stuff like that. Like, I don't know if that was ever in the OG show. I mean, listeners can correct me. Maybe it was. So I, I, thought, I don't remember it being. So that in itself was kind of interesting, but it was also four minutes long. Like she yes. gets, she gets her transformation. She gets to do her bubble shit or no, she actually got to do the cool water movement, the bubble shit. Um, <laughs> she's always the nerd girl's favorite. And I was always kind of lukewarm on Mercury. We know that. Um, oh my God. Mercury is my favorite. <laughs> you don't say, um, uh, but you know, like, that would have been a whole episode. That would have been a full 25 minutes of television instead of four minutes in a movie. And then it's like, tick, then we got to move to Mars. Tick, then we got to move to Jupiter. Tick, then we got to yeah. move to Venus. Um, and by the time Artemis was just randomly turning into a dude, <laughs> I was like, I was right? like did, did we that were, happen we in the show? Like, <laughs> I was like, I don't remember that. Artemis has been a dude the whole time. I know. Like, I, know I know Luna can turn in, has turned into a human because I've seen cosplay of it before. And that was like in a movie or a toss off episode. Like that was a plot line. Um, I don't know if I ever saw Artemis turn into a dude. But anyway, I just, you're right. It is a show for kids. And you're also cramming a show for kids, 38 episodes of a show for kids into three hours. So it's, it goes on pacing issues. Um, but there was just something kind of, comfy about being back with them it was not like moving the needle to any great degree but like no watch her be stupid and clumsy and what? okay take you, take a drink thing... every time she says mamo chan like it's like uh, the, the, the the thing is i always wanted one of the things that frustrated me about sailor moon is as i got older i wanted serena to develop some kind of like a little bit more maturity i wasn't expecting uh, she's a she's a she's meatball head, right? Like I wasn't yes. expecting her to totally change, but I always got frustrated when she just was right back where she was before. And I was like, also, why is Darian dating her? Like, uh, al- she is always, always the greatest uh, <laughs> mystery the greatest of our time. Um, and I wanted to see some of that, right? Not that they were just destined for each other, but like that she she earned his love in some way um and also i always i've always wanted to see like the formation of crystal tokyo mm. and i i've thought this is the movie and it wasn't so i was slightly disappointed about that <laughs> but in the second half there is it's not i'm not going to say it was creepy but like they both I'm going to call them by their English names. I'm sorry. Serena and Darian get turned into like babies Mm. or like toddlers. And it's just, it was weird. It was just weird. There was no reason for it. I don't understand. And they were like babies, but it was like a dream. And they were like baby dreaming. It was so weird. (laughs) It was just so weird. Anyways. But yes, I agree that like, I liked being back with them. And it's never going to, like, move the needle or break the mold. It's Sailor Moon, right? But I always expected a little bit more growth, I guess. I was asking too much of a kid's show, I know. <laughs> um, but, yeah, just the, that mixed with not still not finding out, like, where Crystal Tokyo came from. And the fact that there were weird babies 
and they were like playing house. It was well, just fucking now, weird. Now I want. I'm going to finish this pod and watch the second movie immediately. I don't want to see what's up with the weird baby scene. <laughs> Anyways, so yeah, I it, like I didn't hate it. I just didn't I, and I noticed some things. It really over relies on that bit where like, like a thought bubble comes into the scene to show somebody having a reaction. Yeah, it's a trope of anime where like somebody's off screen, you know, Ray shits on something Serena said, and then her like exaggerated reaction head pops in in like a cartoon bubble to react to it. Like everybody was doing that. Yeah. <laughs> The, the queen, the freaking tiger that's going to turn into a dude, the Amazon quartet, the every sailor scout, everybody was doing it. Um, also, it does not take much to get young Chibiusa to fall in love with you. <laughs> oh my god. Oh yeah, and that was the other thing. Uh, like, Rini being in love with Darian, it's just weird. I know they're going, for, like, I know they're going for that thing where like kids say they're going to marry their parents. Um, but, but it's weird. Yeah. And she's like, I know he's my dad in the future. And I'm like, but this is so but, weird. But like reincarnated dad in the future? Because she's like, I'm going back to the 30th century. And I'm like, that math does not add up. I don't know, Jordan. Like, <laughs> It's a kid's show. There are so, they, like all anime and even Sailor Moon, there were so many things that like just did not make sense. Um, Sailor Moon was better because I think they had filtered it through a like western lens right and would try and make the dialogue and stuff like fit together but as you see the movies like they, they i don't ever think they explain like stuff about pluto and like why is pluto a baby and like <laughs> like that stuff you're just like okay let's do it let's like yeehaw here we go uh it's anime um well let's get some uh Let's take some critical consensus around here. Uh, Victoria Johnson of Polygon gave the film a positive review saying, quote, at its heart, the movie is about overcoming evil with the power of love and friendship. Da doy. It's Sailor Moon. Uh, there's nothing more Sailor Moon than that. No kidding. Lindsay Leverage of Anime News Network gave a B approval rating and wrote, it's a solid entry in the Sailor Moon canon that had the pieces to be something even better. You can put your worries aside as it looks excellent and occasionally fantastic. Um, and Arius Raposas of Medium offered a less favorable review, writing, while the original presentation was quite pleasing when placed in the standards of modern anime, it will not approach the level of, say, Demon Slayer Mugen Train, which also dealt with the theme of dreams and nightmares. So, there you go. But don't compare Sailor Moon to Demon Slayer. That's a false equivalence. Um, yes. <laughs> they're both anime. No, they're completely different things. Uh, it's like a six for me. Okay. I don't, I did not mind it. If I hadn't, if I went through my life not seeing it, that would have been fine. But I saw it and that was fine too. I think it's, I think it's like a four, five oh. for me. Damn! Coming in, she's coming in hot. I'll play the song right here. I'm coming in hot. We're relevant. Four, We're like we'll TikTok. say 4.5. 4.5. Coming in hot. First episode back. Big pass. Failing grade from Caitlin McKinnon for Sailor Moon Eternal. You know what? <laughs> Part a lot of it has to do with like the weird, just weird. <laughs> Too many babies. Baby, <laughs> childs like and her falling in love with the the unicorn. And it's just. But he's not a unicorn. He's a person, and he knows. Yeah, and, and like, but he's still. And... She's like, she's like eight. 
And he's like 13, and I just, I think it's weird. She's like eight, he's like 13, and a horse, and it's just. <laughs> it's just, it's just weird. There's a lot going just on. weird, man. Well, friends, that's on Netflix. You can check that out. Cheap is free on your parents' account like I do. <laughs> Costs you zero dollars. Let us know what you thought about it on Twitter at GeekdownPod. If you agree or disagree, we'd be interested to hear it. Friends, August Watcharama will continue next week with another selection from Caitlin. I got to come up with some suggestions. Caitlin's just running the show this, this year. Caitlin, what are we watching next week? Next week, we are watching Reservation Dogs. I'm super excited for this. The television show program, dramedy, uh, produced by perennial favorite around here, Taika Waititi, and deals with the stories of indigenous folks. Oh, and, and I have to like shout out to Sterling Harjo. He is a Native American filmmaker. Do it. And, uh, shout him out. That's, that's what I just wanted to say. I just wanted to shout him out. Just be like, and him. It's created by Tequititi and Sterling Harjo. You are. Shout it out, sirs. That's what we'll be getting into next week. Feel free to watch it with us and join the discussion. We will be delighted to have you. Thank you, friends, for coming back after our month and change hiatus and for always being understanding and in our need for rest and relaxation. We give you all a lot of content, man. Yeah. Give you a lot of content. We do it because we love it, but it's a lot. Caitlin bought a house. I did. I did buy a house. Oh my. Oh no. Is this going to be like my thing? Oh, I don't want it to be my thing. It's your Matt, it's your Matt Damon show. It's, 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 uh, instead of we bought a zoo, it's we bought a house. Sorry, Caitlin McKenna. It's in your course. I don't want it. <laughs> I don't know. I don't want it. No, Friends. I don't like. Thank you so much for joining us. We hope you'll be back with us next week. We love that you choose to spend an hour and change with us in these uncertain times. It truly means the world to us. Love and respect to MH. My name is Jordan Ferguson. My name is Caitlin McKinnon. The theme song is by Rob Gasser. And I hope you join us next week for another fantastic episode of August Watcherama from the Geek Down Podcast. I almost wish we had like a third, gr- like a grown up. I'd be like, I'd be like, this person, Jordan's being annoying. <laughs>